Hey everybody, quick note before we begin today, the Good Life EDU podcast is typically a weekly podcast, but this week we're going to bring you three special episodes, all as previews for the Future Ready Conference that's set to take place next week on June 15th and 16th from 9am to 12pm. Uh, each of those mornings there is going to be a keynote speaker followed by a series of breakout sessions via Zoom uh, and the conference experience is virtual and free and so we'd love to promote that. And so you're going to get a chance to hear a preview of three different sessions uh, that will be presented at that conference through the podcast this week. So we would encourage you to go to the Future Ready Conference page uh, to register. You can access that by just searching for it on Google or by going to bit.ly slash capital F, capital R, capital N for Nebraska, Nebraska. So that's bit.ly slash FR Nebraska. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. Uh, all right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And I'm excited today to delve into a topic that I personally don't know a whole lot about. And so this will be a great learning opportunity for me and for anybody else listening in, because we're going to talk today a little bit about student data privacy and really navigate that from the nuances of just kind of understanding what the laws are uh, into much more of like kind of a practical functional sense, get an idea of what our ESUs are doing statewide to be able to uh, help better inform educators uh, and, and all stakeholders really as to where we can kind of be sensitive to those laws. Uh, and by the end of this, we'll get into remote learning a little bit as well. And so I'm excited for those conversations and today have with us Robbie Jensen and Bill Pulte. So we're going to start things off actually with Robbie. And Robbie, if you would, can you tell us just kind of your background a little bit in education and uh, we'll kind of get introductions before we get into it. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, so I'm Robbie Jensen. I'm the digital learning coordinator at ESU3. I'm in my 10th year at the service unit now. Uh, prior to that, I was in Omaha Public Schools as a sixth grade teacher and then a K-6 technology instructor. But now for the past 10 years, I've been at ESU in some kind of a tech professional development role. That role has morphed over the past 10 years. But right now, my main focus is really helping teachers understand where they are in a digital world. So whether that be their online coursework or whether that be the past couple months, how they're navigating through the Zoom land and, you know, <laughs> all of that fun. So I've spent a lot of time uh, helping teachers over the past 10 years really just kind of understand where they fit in this time. So that's a little bit about me. Excellent. Yeah. And Bill, if you give us a little your background. Sure. Born uh, and raised by two teachers, actually. I didn't intend to go into education, but uh, I guess it's in the blood. Uh, started at Fremont Public Schools as a technician and then uh, moved to Elkhorn Public Schools as the network administrator and then spent 10 years as the director of IT for Papillion La Vista Schools and took this job two years ago at ESU as the CIO. And uh, I love it. I love being able to work with, with 18 school districts and, and ESUs across the state and the NDE and it's big picture and we're talking legal things and, and yeah, I just love my job. I love coming in every day. Well, I think that's probably a good launching point for us then. And, and so, Bill, how do you follow up with that? When you say legal things, what are we talking about in terms of student data privacy? And help me out, because I know when you sort of delineate the difference a little bit between COPA and FERPA and other acronyms. Uh, so <laughs> if you could help kind of make sense of that for us all, that'd be, that'd be a great place to start. Yeah, absolutely. So 
I can tell you when I was in a district, you know, we had different groups that worried about different things. And, and when you talk about like FERPA, we had student services people who were, who were worried about family educational rights and privacy. And so we spent a lot of time looking at those and, and I would only get involved if there were questions about a student, how the student information system could handle it or uh, forms that we were creating, things like that. I was way more involved with CEPA, which is the Children's Internet Protection Act, and, and a lot of people out there know about that because the federal government years ago tied some dollars through E-rate to the, the fact that you were in line with CEPA. And so if you weren't doing that, you couldn't apply for dollars. There was a checkbox that said, yep, you're CEPA compliant. And really, that got oversold over the years. I talked to a lot of tech directors who said, well, we block it because of SIPA. And I think they were overselling that. And I think it got a bad rap for that. I mean, it was very specific about the things that you were supposed to block around pornography and things like that. But that's that's still in place. People still do that. The one that we, that Robbie and I have been talking about quite a bit is is COPA. And that's a Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. Really, that... That's just talking about children 13 and under and their access to websites. And and one thing you're going to hear is that, you know, well, schools don't have to worry about that because that's on the, the company. The company has to make sure that they're COPA compliant. And the thing that we've learned through all of this, or at least I've learned, Robbie may have known it before, is that a lot of times those companies pass that on to the school district. They say, we don't want any, nobody under 13 should use this. They just put a blanket statement in their agreement. What we're finding is very few people read those agreements, uh, including myself most of the time. I click next and move on with life. Well, if nobody's reading those agreements and we don't know what's in there, who's making sure that everybody has aligned district policies with things like COPA? Um, and so that's been, um, we had a couple districts reach out to us, and that's kind of what got Robbie and I started down this path of, of COPA. Okay, so now that we kind of have like those three pieces delineated out a little bit there uh, with a little more clarity, what is, what does it kind of look like with like the ESU's support of COPA? Robbie, what are some of the experiences you've had with working with teachers in districts? Yeah, so over the past couple of years, we've been working on a, a tool called the Nebraska Student Privacy Alliance. And this is a partnership from across the country. There are many states who are doing these alliances. Massachusetts and California kind of took the lead and built a lot of this framework and then other states are able to get in and get using this. But what this is, is the ability for us at a statewide level to really build a statewide contract that says as a Nebraska school, I'm gonna go to the vendor, the operator of whatever the website is or the app that my students are gonna be using and I'm going to give them this standard agreement saying, this is what we're doing to protect your students' data. We're not selling your data. All these different pieces. But we wanted to make sure it was Nebraska-specific language. So as we look at these different alliances around the country, we see that they're very specific to the regions that they're in. A Massachusetts agreement is going to look different than Nebraska's. Because of the makeup of who we are as a state and kind of how we operate, we were able to take from some other state contracts and build kind of our master Nebraska contract. And now what happened, or not contract, but it is an agreement here. What we're able to do now is go to the vendor and say, our district wants to use your app or your website, and we want you to sign off on this. So what can happen is 
then the vendor will go in and they'll read through it. Most oftentimes it's their legal department will read through it and somebody will sign off from that vendor. And that also has a timeline on it so we can keep track because we know user agreements are changing all the time. I mean, I feel like I get an email once a week at least saying somebody's user agreement has changed. <laughs> but when they sign it, now they're saying we're committing to this time frame, which makes it a lot easier for a district to manage as well. I'm not saying, oh, we're using this tool and somebody got the email that it changed. We have a time frame that we can commit to. The other nice piece is when we started looking at this, I remember sitting in initial meetings with Bill and others and where it was like, we don't want to be the police of this across the state. We don't want to be the one who says, no, you can't use that tool. This needs to be a district level decision. As somebody who supports districts, we don't want to be the one telling the districts what to do. Uh, so we wanted this whole idea of collective support. The nice thing that can happen with this is there is an additional addendum to that agreement. And then the addendum allows any district in the state to latch in to that agreement and say, hey, Bellevue Public Schools, you're using this app. We are too. They've already signed off on the app for you. So now as a district, we just need to sign that addendum and say, yep, we are now launching into this as well. The other piece about it is we're able to build an online platform where we can share what agreements have been signed and maybe those that haven't been signed as well. Those ones where we say this vendor wouldn't approve of signing this. Now, non-approval is a big thing. Bill and I have talked about this a lot with people. Sometimes a vendor won't sign off. Maybe it's one of the bigs, you know, those Googles, those Apples who their legal team doesn't sign anything unless they write it kind of thing. Um, or maybe they're just a, a vendor who says, you know, we can't commit to that. That doesn't mean that a district can't use that tool. Districts can make decisions on their own. And we might have some districts who don't want to use it and some who do. But then in this web tool that we have in the Student Data Privacy Alliance, they can go in and say, this one was approved by the district and here's why. Maybe it's something to where we sent home something to mom and dad to sign off on saying your student's going to be using this. The vendor wouldn't sign, but here's why we think there's educational importance to this tool. Uh, so we can really be flexible, but have collective support. We don't have to have every district in the state reaching out to the vendors. One reaches out and the others can kind of latch in into that same agreement as well. So we really have tried to build a tool that can be supported across the state. And this has really been a partnership with NDE, the ESUs and districts across the state as well. Gosh, what a great way to serve people in a space that is obviously carries a lot of legal significance and, and is also very difficult, not just like understand, but to keep up with at the same time. You know, there, there's, it's not just under, like being able to talk the talk, it's the, the ever-changing nature of the law and the companies and what they're providing, if I'm understanding all this right. Bill, where's this kind of, uh, what would you kind of say to play off of that, I guess, as you're listening? Yeah, I think some of the things that we really liked about the way we went with this is, and, and some of this I didn't even realize till we dove in, but we worked with uh, two law firms specifically, and they kind of gave us some guidance on this. But one of the things I heard early on was that districts need to have a policy on how they're going to approve what software and apps get used in, in districts. And they don't really care which way you go, decentralized or centralized, as long as you have a policy around there. And, and just to explain what those are, 
So in a centralized environment, and we have some districts around the state that are doing this, all websites and applications that use student data get approved through like a central office person, a student services or something like that. And then those go on a list and teachers are only supposed to use those items. A decentralized one puts that initiative in the hands of the teacher. And the idea is you train teachers what to look for for apps. You, you train the teachers on here are the things that you should be asking, here are the questions that you need answers for before you approve something. And so you train the teachers and then they do some of that, that app management. And what Robbie and I like about this is the fact that the website he's talking about actually will list all of the agreements right there. So a perfect example that Robbie and I have used, I feel like a hundred times now is Khan Academy. Because Khan Academy in a lot of places, because of their agreement is not allowed by a number of these agreements because their agreement specifically asks for parent sign-off, some sort of permission from parents. And so we've had, we do have districts who've gotten around that by uh, around the country by sending a letter home to parents and doing some of those types of things. But again, it, it, it doesn't take power or it doesn't take that responsibility away from districts. It just makes it easier to gather some of that information, which is what one of the things I really like about it. And they can do it in either way, a centralized or a decentralized. The one thing that I will say that I think has ha happened in the last two years since Robbie and I started this, I don't think a lot of school districts had policies around this. And that's been one of the things we've been seeing is that more and more districts are creating board policies that specifically address these types of things. Um, and then that's where Robbie and I back off and we say, you know, contact your legal team, whoever that is, and, and let, let them help you craft that policy. But um, I think that's good. I think having that policy and, and having some protections in place is a good thing. I'd be curious to know, too, what this sort of looks like. And we alluded to it earlier, but uh, kind of in the present circumstances, you know, you, you mentioned the last two years, things are changing. And uh, for a moment there, I was like, gosh, in the last two months, so much has changed with regards to our move to uh, what I've kind of called emergency remote learning. Uh, though the school year is wrapped up uh, for most, most districts, we might end up there uh, in a similar space in the fall. Uh, and so what are some of the I don't want to call them issues because I just really appreciate the teachers have done their best to, to try to navigate these spaces. And sometimes when you find yourself kind of at a loss for what to do, you'll, you'll take the thing that you found in your email inbox or a recommendation from a friend on an app that, uh, you know, just seemed, seemed to fit the need that you were trying to do what was in the best interest of students. But what should teachers kind of look out for if they are in sort of that decentralized uh, structure, particularly in, in those spaces? Yeah, I think these times have been really interesting. Like you said, you know, teachers were getting inundated with this email and that email about, hey, here's our free tool for now, and here's our other free tool. I think if teachers just need to be aware of this, so the, one of the big powers of our Nebraska Student Data Privacy Alliance is that it's connected to the national database. So even if a Nebraska school hasn't been using this tool, others have been. And so we can look through these databases and say, how have districts in California or Montana, how have these across the country approved the use of this app? Those user agreements can be a really big piece that teachers like to just kind of breeze past when they sign up for a tool. But I think those are a, a great first line when you're looking specifically, I know they get pages and pages long, but look at what it's doing with your students' data. Uh, that is a really big piece. Uh, I would also say that 
nationally, the student data privacy group has been making some headway in, um, I don't know if quite certification is the right word, but getting vendors nationally approved on a, a list of student data compliant vendors. And I think we'll see more headway with that, especially uh, what's transpired over the past couple of months. I think that's gonna push for more of those pieces as well. So the more teachers can just understand what student data is being put out there and where it goes, that, that's gonna make a lot of difference. And also consulting with their districts. I know we have some districts who may not approve a tool, not because of the student data piece, just because they have other curriculum pieces already in place too. Mm -hmm. So really knowing their district's policies and procedures when it comes to what new tools they should or shouldn't be using. Maybe this is a, a website too that I shouldn't point people to, but I, at times have gone to Common Sense Media. What about that as a, as a resource? Common Sense Media gets into the educational value of it. It doesn't always narrow down into what we're doing specifically with the data points, what it's doing, okay. what they're collecting, those kind of things. It does talk about you know, the great uses for your students and what we should maybe protect at home when using those apps, but it doesn't always get down to the nitty gritty details of it as well. And Bill, I don't know if you have more to add to that as well. No, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And we do get that question from districts who say, okay, this student data privacy stuff is great, but we want to know about the efficacy of some of these apps and things like that. I mean, I go back 20 years and we used to buy CDs and we'd load them in labs for, you know, reader rabbit or something like that. So there wasn't the ability for a teacher to say, Oh, somebody sent me this email, I'm gonna load it in a, a lab of computers or use it. We're in a, a time now where it's, everything's web-based. And so anybody can use about anything. And so it becomes a little bit more difficult. I'm not sure if policing it is the right word or phrase, but that's what it is. You know, it's, it's this idea of, we wanna use good tools, but how do we know what the good tools are? And I think Common Sense Media can, can definitely help with that. I do agree, Robbie and I were on a call, this is about six weeks ago now, and that's what we're hearing from districts is this pandemic, it almost flooded people with, hey, try our product. And I don't feel that that's necessarily fair to teachers just because uh, now they may have 10 things coming at them and do they try all 10 and they don't know. So yeah, I really wasn't a big fan of companies doing that. I wish they hadn't done it. They saw this as a, a moneymaker for them I just didn't think it was fair to, to teachers and I didn't think it was fair to tech departments either because tech departments were in the middle of this pandemic as well and they were trying to trying to make sure that teachers could work from home and students could work from home and now they're getting hundreds of questions about hey have you ever tried this website or I want to use this website probably in the middle of this was not the time to exactly. to be changing how we're doing things you know now, that being said, I, I am pleased to see that the CARES Act has some dollars for professional learning. And maybe maybe this summer is the time to start looking at some of those things. Because like you said, even if we start back full bore uh, in the fall, my guess would be that somewhere along the line next year, there are going to be spikes and we're going to be closing schools for a week here or two weeks there, whatever that looks like. And it would be nice to have that uh, preparation done before that happens. Yeah, and so do you, I'm going to do two things here. One, I'm going to shamelessly plug the June 15th and 16th Future Ready Conference, where we'll be having conversations about this. 
and uh, you guys are both be presenting there, right? So that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> good, to, good to have you both there. So you can follow up at, for that free opportunity to hear from NDE and also our ESUs across the state as we try to kind of step into all those different spaces and bring dialogue from the many stakeholder groups. Uh, but as, let's say, because you, you referenced their build tech directors and, and people that are kind of getting that PD piece ready before the fall, right, as we're kind of back to school and, and uh, trying to get acclimated to those challenges that might be new to the start of the year experience here. Um, so what are some things maybe if, if I'm in that kind of role uh, that I should be thinking about incorporating uh, maybe more administratively to make sure that uh, we've got that message out and that support is there for educators to be able to make uh, the right decisions or at least know the questions to ask? For, for me, it's communication. I mean, I was, I can't tell you how lucky I was at Papillion. I had um, tech facilitators who worked out of the curriculum department and our communication, my relationship with both of the people I worked with at Papillion was great. Josh Allen was the first and then Anna Eckhoff was the second. And we both communicated uh, I would call Josh, I, I think back, I'd call Josh and say, hey, you know, here's something that I'm hearing. And we'd have that conversation, but he would do the same thing. And sometimes just keeping those lines of communication open between the two, the two departments, I think is, is essential. Cool. Robbie, do you have anything to add? Yeah, well, one thing I would add that is going to be an opportunity for districts uh, towards the end of the summer here that might be useful the ESUs together are coordinating council. We have a group out of the uh, technology group called the Digital Citizenship Group, and we are putting together an interactive module that will be available at the end of the summer for all districts across the state that really looks at this broader topic of digital citizenship in this time of, of home-based learning. Part of that is going to be student data privacy, as well as copyright needs and all those other pieces. Uh, it'll be a nice little training package that'll be built in a way that districts can put it into their learning management system or that they can just access freely on a website as well. So we will have some opportunities that can really reach down to the teacher level too, where we can get the, a teacher some help and understanding when it comes to these big topics that are out there. Well, excellent. Is there anything in the midst of all of this that we're not addressing on this topic is our, our 25 minutes goes really fast here, but uh, I would appreciate getting a chance to just learn a little bit more through this and to understand that I'm with you, Bill, and that communication and matters so much and being able to lean on other people in similar roles and, and trying to glean what we can as even with these podcasts, I found that so much of what I'm taking away from these is just being a part of the conversation. We don't have to have answers, but we need to be invested in growing together through this awkward time. And so uh, couldn't agree with that more. And, and what uh, great support, again, that the ESUs are doing um, with the modules like, like Robbie's talking about um, to make resources available to support people in that decision-making process. Bought you a little time there, fellas. Is it <laughs> closing comments? What would you What would you say? I guess um, here as we, we wrap things up. You know, I think we're just going to see more and more vendors all the time. We're going to have tools, so just making yourself aware is is the key to this. Knowing as a classroom teacher, as a tech director, as a building principal, knowing the benefit of these tools that are out there. I think you're going to see some growth in the coming years with ex exploration into efficacy of tools but really just knowing as, as an instructor, what's the best tool and how to go explore what that tool is doing with your students' data is gonna go a long ways. Yeah, and I mean, for me, if I was gonna leave a closing comment, I would say that, you know, I started this by saying that I, 
two years at ESU and I love my job. Part of the reason I love my job is exactly what you said is, is those conversations, being able to bring districts together. You know, we've got an IST committee meeting, which is uh, tech directors from all 18 school districts who get together and have these conversations. I sit on Robbie's uh, ITUG users group meetings where we get to have these conversations. And I love that. I love that it's an opportunity for districts at ESUs to come together and talk about how this is, how, how all of this works. Because depending on where you are, you know, if you're at a large district, you might have departments who can do some of this. Smaller districts may be one person doing this. And so how do we, how do we bring all those people together and learn from each other? Yeah, so if you're interested, reach out Yeah, to the ESUs. We can connect you with people. We can connect with you ourselves and the resources that are, are part of the things that we're investing in, in developing and, and pointing people to. And, and hopefully this podcast is just one piece of that too, right? So I appreciate you both taking the time uh, today to be able to engage in dialogue. We can share with other people to point them to these places so that we can be, make sure that education is a little bit safer for our, our learners and that we're just being cognizant of the things we need to kind of adhere to, to to make sure that's happening. So thank you both for your time. Thank, thank you, you for having us. Yeah. Yeah. And hope we get a chance to chat again soon.